Today's episode will be an extended version. One that's important to me as I discuss the disease that killed my mom, young onset Alzheimer's disease. I just ask that you listen, and if you've learned anything, educated, motivated, or moved in any way that you consider sharing. This disease killed my mom, and I'd like to kick its ass, and maybe you can help. Thanks for listening. The Life of Big Dog Podcast. Recently voted Best Podcast in the Universe by the International House of Podcasts. The International House of Podcasts is not a real thing. If it were, we'd probably only come in like fourth. And now your host, the Big Dog. What do you mean it's not a real thing? They sent me a plaque. I have a trophy. The trophy's right here. Hold on, it says, World's Greatest Dad. All right, it's possible this isn't from the International House of Podcasts. That's my mistake. You are listening to the Life of Big Dog podcast. I am a big dog. Thank you for joining us for episode number four on our little podcasting journey. As I will always do, I want to thank you for taking the time to spend just a few minutes with me and listen to my thoughts and ramblings when you have millions of options out there to listen to. I would also like to extend an invitation for you to join me on Twitter. My handle there is BigDog underscore KA. I would love to create some conversations out there, talk about life, the show, tell me how good looking I am. You know, whatever, whatever pops up, you know? Nothing wrong with that. But I would love to get in some conversations and discussions out there that hopefully can cross over into future episodes of the podcast. So find me there. I'm also on Facebook. I'll be honest with you. Uh, I don't know the page name on Facebook, but if you go to facebook.com and search for the life of big dog podcast, I'm going to assume that my face will show up and you can join us out there as well. So we do this segment each week where we talk about one important thing that happened this week. Uh, I think I would be doing us a great disservice if I went all dramatic and funny and talked about anything other than the craziness that is occurring due to the coronavirus. I will say that I think it's a little overhyped, and I don't mean that in an insensitive way, because I know there are people who are at risk and this is very dangerous for them. That is not by any means what I mean when I say that. Uh, but the fact that my kids are all out of school for the foreseeable future, that mayors of major cities are literally shutting down the entire city. Um, I mean, it, this is stuff that at 43 years old I have never seen happen before. There are Fortune 20 businesses one of which I work for, who are canceling inventories. And we made that announcement yesterday, and our stock price dropped by 25% in just a few hours. It is crazy, unprecedented. Uh, it's downright scary when you let the hype from the media get into your psyche. Here's the deal, and I'm not just saying this as my opinion. I'm saying this is fact. Go research it. 81 or 82% of the people who get coronavirus will have 
mild symptoms or no symptoms at all. There's a large percentage of us who will have it and not even know we had it. Washing your hands, using hand sanitizer if you can get your hand on any, using bleach wipes to wipe down surfaces and doorknobs and light switches around your house will prevent the vast majority of us from catching this thing. Be smart, take care of yourself and your family, keep your hands and your bathrooms and your kitchens clean and sanitized, and yeah, maybe don't go jump in a mosh pit right now because that doesn't seem like a good idea, but I would think that you can probably go out and get some groceries if you need them. Masks don't work. They've said a million times, masks do not work. This stuff is, is brought in through eyes and ears, and it's inhaled, and it, the mask does not filter it out. So don't be one of those people who's at Walmart shopping for ground beef with a mask on and rubber gloves. Just do the stuff you know you need to do as a mature adult, and you're going to be fine. Here's what I will say. I have seen this virus, this pandemic bring out who people really are and it's easy to look at a row of people watch their behavior based on all that's happening and you can tell if they are good people or bad people because right now it's bringing out the best and simultaneously the worst in people the worst are the ones who are right now at walmart or costco or sam's club buying every roll of toilet paper every roll of paper towel uh, every bottle of hand sanitizer and either hoarding it for themselves when there are people who legitimately are at risk because of this virus and need it, or they're going to throw it on Facebook and sell a roll of toilet paper for two bucks a piece. Those people can suck a butt. But on the other side of that coin, I've also seen some amazing things. There are a lot of schools closed. There are several thousand families in each school district who rely on the free breakfast and lunch for their kids to eat. In a lot of cases, these are the one or two healthy meals these kids get to eat each day. And with no school, well, you do the math. That means they're not getting the food and the nutrition that they really need. I have seen an enormous amount of people posting on Facebook, social media, even on covered on the news last night here locally in Colorado, that people are taking from their own supply of food and making what they can, 25 or 30 breakfasts or lunches, and saying, if, if you need this breakfast or lunch for your kid, come drive to this address and pick it up. I have seen people saying, hey, you know what? I just happened to get a roll of 16 or a package of 16 rolls of toilet paper the night before this all broke. Uh, I, I live alone. I've got nine or 10 rolls I'm not going to go through. If anyone needs them, let me know and I'll bring them to you. I've seen people saying, hey, if you are in the at-risk category, if you're elderly or have respiratory issues or whatever the case might be, you have pneumonia, give me a list of things you need and I'll go out and try to find it and bring it to you. It's on me. Don't worry about it. It is encouraging to see that there are still good people out here in this world who exist and who are doing the right thing and who are trying to take care of others. This is what this country used to be. It didn't used to be, well, now the government's got to send every American a $1,000 check or else we're going to go into recession. It didn't used to be, hey, I lost my job. Well, the government will take care of me. It used to be that people in neighborhoods took care of each other. 
hey, Johnny and Susie uh, lost their jobs at the factory. They're not going to be able to find work for a couple weeks. Let's go around the neighborhood. Let's get everybody to, to offer one meal to make sure they're fed. Hey, let's everybody put some cash in an envelope to help them through. That's what we used to do as a society. And now we worry more about how is the government going to help us. I'm not saying the government shouldn't help us. And I don't mean to make this a political thing. I'm just saying I love seeing people looking out for other people. It's encouraging. It makes my heart feel good. So without making it overly dramatic, we'll say this. The coronavirus brought out the best in a lot of people, and that's one important thing that happened this week. Well, we are doing things a little differently today, and i got to be honest, I'm a little bit nervous about this next segment. It's not often that I talk about my mom and what she and the rest of my family went through, but I think it's important. So here we go. I'm going to start off by telling you about her. I know everybody says this about their moms, or at least most people do, but my mom was awesome. She was a kind, loving, selfless person. Several years as a school teacher. When she transitioned away from that to do the stay-at-home mom thing, she also dedicated a lot of her time to her church, where she continued teaching Sunday school, junior church, kids' midweek services. She was a fixture at the potlucks, an amazing cook. I don't remember a lot of the things she cooked because it's been a couple decades. But I remember the lasagna. The lasagna was crazy good. I kind of miss that stuff too. My mom died December 7th. 2004, coming up on 16 years ago, which is crazy to say out loud. Now, you already know, based on the disclaimer at the beginning, that what took her was Alzheimer's. When you picture an Alzheimer's patient in your head, what do you see? If you close your eyes and visualize one, most often people think old gray, frail, and that's usually the right answer. Statistically, the majority, the vast majority, 95% plus of the people who have Alzheimer's disease are over 65. That seems to be the age where that becomes a possibility and for some a reality. My mom died when she was 57. Eight years before she even got to the age where you should think she might get Alzheimer's, it had already taken her. And knowing what we know now, looking back at the disease and the symptoms and the signs, we can really see the possibility existed that she was suffering from the effects as early as her mid-30s. So here's the thing, my mom was kind of a goofball. That's how we always saw her, not in a disrespectful way, just that was her personality. Kind of an airhead, extremely smart, but kind of an airhead and goofy, uh, which was really endearing, honestly. I mean, it was, she's the one who'd put the milk in the pantry instead of the refrigerator, or find something that really wasn't that funny 
on TV funny and die laughing, and then we'd all start laughing, and that's just who she was. So when we started seeing behaviors that were a little bit unusual, that's what we normally chalk stuff up to, just mom being mom. She, uh, there's video somewhere, and I don't have it, it's probably in my brother's possession somewhere, where my mom was at a birthday party for my niece, who was probably three or four at the time, and in the video you see her repeatedly taking a present from my niece and giving it back and saying, let's go open presents, and then she'd get sidetracked and take the present back from my niece and give it back and say, let's go open presents, and she was caught in this cycle, and at the time we thought it was funny, and we were like, mom, just give her the freaking present, and we laughed, and it was funny, and she laughed, and that was just normal. That was just mom. As time progressed past that a little bit, uh, things like using the phone started becoming a challenge. When I moved out, I'd, I'd call on Sundays and check in, see how everybody was doing, and almost weekly she'd be on the phone and say, I, I, can't, I can't hear you, I can't hear you, and, and I don't know what's going, what, hello, and she'd press a couple of keys, and it was, honestly at the time it was annoying as hell, it drove me crazy, and she'd say, she'd say, just talk to your dad, and hand him the phone, and he'd say, the phone sounded fine, I don't know what to tell you. But again, we just chalk that up to mom being mom. That stuff happened with mom. She's silly. She's goofy. But things started getting worse. Um, not too long after that, my dad and I were at choir practice at our church. This is pre-cell phone era. And someone came in and said, hey, I, th I think just saw your car on the side of the road. Looks like it got swerved off the road or something, run off the road. So we tried to call our house and see if mom was still there. She wasn't. So we decided to hop on our cars and fly down there. And we both flew down there about a mile south of where we were, and sure enough, there's my mom's 86 Crown Victoria up in the yard of a small business. And tire tracks that looked like she'd slammed on the brakes and ended up in the grass, tore up the front yard. When we got to her, she was fine. She was aware of what was going on, so I don't know what happened. I was driving, and the brakes locked up, and I tried to get control, and it just sent me over here, and I finally stopped. And she handled it like a champ. Everything was good. Took the car to a mechanic the next day, because obviously we can't drive it. That's dangerous. Mechanic checks it over. Nothing wrong with it. And that was weird. Years after this, as we remember that, we... We figure what probably happened is she hit the wrong pedal, out of confusion, panicked. Uh, we don't know because we weren't there, but that's just our guess. Things continued to progress from there. Not too long after that, my, my mom and dad were in Colorado. They lived in Michigan at the time. They were in Colorado seeing family, and they always drove. They loved doing the cross-country drive. And one would drive for a few hours, and they'd tag in the other one, and they'd switch that over the course of the trip so nobody got overwhelmed or overtired. And on the way home from Denver, somewhere in Nebraska, my dad was driving and decided to tag out. They stopped on the side of the road. My mom takes over. My dad gets all comfy. He props his pillow up against the door, closes his eyes. My mom hits the road. And a few minutes later, my dad is woken up by the screeching of a mom slamming on the brakes. He says, what is going on? What's wrong? 
and he looks around and sees that they're in the middle of I-80, stopped. My mom is panicked and confused and says, I don't know what to do. My dad looks and there's semis bearing down on him. I mean, this is midday on a Saturday and there's traffic everywhere. It's not like the road was closed. It was four in the morning and they could take their time. My dad has to step over the, the center hump, the center console, and hit the accelerator, grab the wheel, pulls him off the side of the road, and obviously drove the rest of the way home. That was kind of what broke the camel's back. That was the straw. It was scary. My dad was worried. We were all worried after I heard the story. And my dad set up an appointment with her doctor, the doctor's primary care physician. You know, my mom's 51, 52 at the time. Had no idea how to explain that. No idea what was wrong. Decides, well, let's go see a neurologist. Go to see a neurologist. And online right now, if you go ahead and Google Alzheimer's test, you can find this test. Um, how it starts out is the person who's giving you the test will give you three words or phrases, short phrases, to start off. You'll do another series of activities. It varies based on the test, but it's cognitive stuff. And then... There's a circle, and they ask you to draw a clock, face of a clock. Number it 12 through 11, put the hands wherever you want. And then after that, the final thing is to recite back the three words or phrases that the doctor gave. I've never seen the test. I wasn't there at the appointment. But as my dad related to me, she failed a lot of things that you just shouldn't fail. The clock was a confusing jumble of numbers. Uh, she couldn't remember the phrases that she was given. It was just a wreck. And I don't know the science behind it, but that essentially led to the diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease at 52 years old. Now, having, having experience and time behind us, we can look back and see those same things happening in her late 30s. We can see the symptoms kicking in in the late 30s. We didn't have a diagnosis at that age, but if we did, at the time, my mom would have been the youngest person in the history of the state of Michigan ever diagnosed with Alzheimer's. It's just unofficial. Um, so what we expected to have happen was what we were taught by Hollywood. The Full House Alzheimer's is what I call it. There's a famous episode of Full House where DJ Tanner donates her time at a nursing home and she meets this guy and they strike up a friendship and halfway through their conversation he blanks out and calls her the wrong name and thinks that she's his daughter and it scares DJ and they explain that that's Alzheimer's and that's how he's going to act and she then brings him home to a birthday party and everything's fine and halfway through the birthday party, guess what? He forgets where he is and calls DJ's daughter's name and it scares her and they call for help and the nursing home comes and picks him up and at the very end, I remember this and it didn't piss me off at the time, but it does now. He pretends to forget just to give everybody a good laugh. Ha ha ha, and the music plays and I think Perfect Strangers came on after that. That's not remotely what Alzheimer's is, but that's what we believed it to be. So that's what I thought we were going to have to go through with my mom. She'd forget that a cupboard was called a cupboard. She'd put the flashlight in the wrong drawer when she put it away. She'd call me by my brother's name. Confusion is really what we're taught through Hollywood. Even movies like The Notebook, we're taught that 
Alzheimer's is just this confusion and there's moments of clarity and oh no, here it comes again. I'm going to forget everything. Oh, and that's not, that's not true. Alzheimer's is a nasty killing disease. And we learn that the hard way. What I discovered through my research and if I, if I murder this description, if you're a medical professional or a, or a caregiver and I, I murder this, I'm not doing it intentionally. It's just my interpretation of what happened. Um, my mom's brain regressed backwards in the same way a newborn baby's brain progresses forward. So you think of all the milestones that a baby achieves. Holding the head up for the first time. Holding their bottle for the first time. Uh, learning how to pick up something from a table and put it in their mouth. Learning how to walk, talk. You progress all the way through the life of a normal human. School, graduation, college, relationships, balancing checkbooks, holding down jobs, holding down relationships. The same way that a, a human is born and progresses forward, my mom seemed to go backwards in the exact same manner. And in the same order, really. So we started seeing abilities that she'd had her whole life go away. We were at dinner at her house one time, my parents' house, and my mom loved Burger King for whatever reason. She loved the BK Big Fish. So we went and uh, got her a fish sandwich, and my dad and I were sitting there eating with her, and things were okay. She'd take a bite, have a bit of a conversation. Her communication wasn't great. There was mumbling and forgetting of words, but we got the idea. And she's taking bites of her sandwich, and we're good, and we're talking, and it's fine, and... At one point, she takes a bite of her sandwich, and I can see something change in her facial expression. Didn't know what it was, but you could see it on her face that something wasn't right. And she reaches out with her sandwich in her hand and kind of moves her arm around, and she's looking around the table, and she didn't know what to do with that sandwich. And as she holds it there, she kind of releases her grip a little bit, and some lettuce falls out, and then the fish falls out, and she drops it. And without a beat, my dad just picked everything up, put it back together, put it on his plate, and continued eating. And I was shocked. That's the first I'd seen something like that happen. Completely shocked. And my dad had said that that's something that was starting to happen a little more and more. Never saw that on Full House. Never saw that in the movies. A few months later, we're at my grandparents' house, and my mom's communication had gotten a little bit worse, and some of her motor skills were starting to regress. I'm going to use that word a lot, regress. And while she could still walk and support herself, stairs had become a problem. So as we left my grandparents' house, we get to the edge of the deck, and sure enough, there's four steps. I knew that she was struggling with stairs, but I didn't know how bad it was. And my dad was in the in their van, putting bags away and getting ready to go. I was at the bottom of the stairs waiting for my mom. And she tries to walk down and, and puts her foot out, not really down, but puts it out and doesn't know where to go with it. And the sound she made, I'm, I'm not going to try to recreate it here because I wouldn't do it justice. I would, it would be cruel for me to try. It was fear personified in a sound. It was panic. It was, I, I really don't know 
how to describe it on this podcast to get you to understand it. It was the worst sound I'd ever heard in my life. I had never heard a sound like that come out of my mom's mouth. She was frozen and petrified. And that sound was her best way to beg for help, to, I don't know. I wasn't sure what my reaction was supposed to be, if I was supposed to let her try or grab her hand and help her, but I couldn't hear that sound anymore, so I walked up the stairs, put my arms around her, picked her up, and carried her down the stairs. When we got to the bottom of the stairs, she turned around, and the clearest thing she said all day, she patted me on the chest and said, oh, my big boy, my big boy. And we walked her to the van and set her in, buckled her in, and my dad drove her home. I had a half hour drive home and I bawled like a baby the entire drive home. I had never seen my mom like that. I had never seen the toll this was taken on her. I'd never seen her helpless and afraid. And that killed me. As I did more research, I found that Alzheimer's wasn't just a forgetful disease. It eventually was going to take her life. I didn't know that. I didn't know this was fatal. My dad didn't know. I had to be the one to explain to my dad, hey, this disease that you're watching destroy your wife day by day is eventually going to kill her. That's a fun conversation to have with your dad. We go forward a few more months from the stair incident and my dad is overwhelmed. It is hard to be the essentially sole caregiver of somebody with Alzheimer's. It's, it's a struggle. It, it deeply affected my dad's health in a negative way. I'll get into that on a different podcast probably. But he needed a break, and he asked me and my then wife to come over and, and spend the night so he could just go get a hotel somewhere. Just take a night where he didn't have to follow my mom around and feed her and worry about her. And we said, done, go. We came over, he left. Uh, at this point, walking, yes, mostly. Needed help up and down. Uh, needed help getting in bed. She, her mattress was now on the floor because she was falling off the bed on a regular basis. Um, communication was mostly gone. Instead of words, it was mostly sounds, grunts, um, laughs sometimes. For the most part, it was difficult to understand or communicate with her, but we, we tried our best. So as we sat there in her house that night, I went to my dad's office, was checking email, and I hear my mom shuffle in and I hear kind of grunt, hey, like, hey, hey. And I turn around and I smile and I said, hey, mom, what's up? And I saw anger in her face. And I said, what's wrong? And she mumbled something. I couldn't make out what it was. And she shuffled away. I thought, well, I'm just going to stay in here, give her some space. So I stand on the computer. And a minute later, I heard her in the kitchen, it sounded like trying to open a drawer or a cupboard. So I looked down the hallway and sure enough, she was in the kitchen trying to open the drawer where they keep their big knives, like the big knives, like the turkey and ham carving knives. And my mom had a ton of them from her years being a master in the kitchen. So I go out there and I, I ask what she's doing, if she needs help. And for the first time in months, she spoke completely clear to me. We were told that it can occasionally happen where someone will be able to establish all their focus and get some words out they normally couldn't get out and seem for a second like they have some clarity. That's what she did. 
And she looked at me and she pointed in my face and she said, get out of my house or I'm going to kill you. Now in that moment, you're not thinking, oh, it's the disease and it's fine. You just heard your mom say she wanted to kill you. That's a frightening experience. I positioned myself between her and that drawer because now I knew she was trying to get in that drawer to stab me. She wanted to kill me. It took a few hours for me to separate who my mom used to be from who she was now and realize that wasn't her talking. And sure enough, she calmed down and things were fine. We got her to bed and made it through the night. But that moment was petrifying for me. That moment was a reality check for me of how bad it's gotten, how bad things were for her. And for my dad, really. So, fast forward a few more months and we're at Christmas. And we're at her sister's house and we're exchanging gifts. And this had happened a couple times, but not quite as severe. We had her propped up in the corner of a couch because she couldn't keep her balance, hold herself up. Again, just like a toddler. Or like an infant, really. Put them in the corner so they can't fall over and hurt themselves. Prop them up with pillows. Couldn't walk on her own. Couldn't, for months, hadn't be able to dress or clean herself. That's what we did. And she's sitting on the couch and we're trying to have a conversation with her. And she tries to get up. And, you know, when she tried to get up, we wanted to get her up and let her have some freedom and walk around as best she could. But someone was always near her. So we helped her up and... She, uh, she said, I got to get out of here. And she tried to leave. And anytime any of us tried to approach her or talk to her, my dad, myself, my aunt, my uncle, my grandfather, who has since passed, was there. Anytime any of us tried to approach her or talk to her, she would scream in terror. She didn't know who any of us were, and she thought for sure that we were all trying to hurt her in some way. She cried, she screamed, she tried to hurt us, she swung punches at us as best she could in her condition. Uh, happened for about an hour, this is Christmas morning, worst Christmas ever. And then finally she calms down and we get her to sit down and she falls asleep and take her home. Hollywood didn't prepare us for any of that stuff. And that's why this is all so important for me, because that's the message I want to get out there. My mom spent the last six months of her life in a care facility. Even between my dad and I and other family members, we couldn't give her the care she needed. She had several falls, hurt herself badly a few times, knocked herself out and stopped breathing once when she tried to get herself off the toilet and couldn't do it. Um, we just, we needed help. We couldn't do it. Like I said earlier, my dad's health was deteriorating. He had heart issues at this time because of the stress. Uh, it was it was hard for everybody to watch this happen. We would visit her every day in the care facility. My dad would be there every day. I'd be there as many days as I could. Um, at this stage, she didn't didn't know us at all. Didn't recognize us. There was no attempt to converse. We literally just sat there next to a woman in a bed, and we talked to each other and try to talk to her. We for a while, could still feed her some things, but eventually that stopped as well. About six months, I think, she was in that care facility. And 
like I said, months of her not knowing who we were, just, we were all just there and existing. And one day she was in the cafeteria area, I came in, my dad was already there with her eating and they played music and tried to entertain the people who lived in the home. She was the youngest person in the home, by the way, by a long shot. And I turned the corner in the care facility and saw where they were sitting. She was in a kind of wheelchair bed because she was not mobile at all. And somehow our eyes connected. And she looked at me, and I don't know if she knew it was me or just a familiar face, but for the first time in months, she reacted to seeing me. She got a smile on her face. She lifted her arm up as high as she could, and I don't know if she was waving at me or trying to wave me over, but was making a motion and trying to say, hey, as though she knew me was calling me. And I came over and didn't understand a word she said, but for about 15 minutes, she was a million miles an hour trying to talk to me. And I just sat there and smiled and sucked it all in. That was the first time in months that my mom seemed to know who I was and the last time. She uh, didn't get to meet my daughter. My daughter was born three weeks before she passed away. We tried so hard to get a reaction out of her. We held her right in front of my mom's face. But the last really two months that she was with us, she was essentially in a coma. I equate it to kind of like the baby in the womb part where her brain had gone backwards so far that she wasn't eating, she wasn't drinking. Her brain essentially was stopping telling her organs how to function, how to survive, and things were just shutting down. She passed away that morning, a cold, nasty December morning with all of us at her bedside. She wasn't supposed to make it through that day. The night before, we were told she probably wouldn't last till morning. We all had our moments telling her goodbye. When my brother and I were sure my dad was okay, we left his house and decided to go back and sit with my mom for a while. We sat there and my mom's breathing had changed and she made this weird gasping sound and it was pretty much on a, on a rhythm. Every 15 or 20 seconds ago, she'd make a gasp. And again, I'm not going to try to recreate it here, but it was an audible gasp. And as we sat there in a dark, quiet room talking, it would occasionally startle us. It became creepy. And please don't take offense when I say this. If my mom were aware, and if my mom were alive, and if my mom were able to look down at that moment and see us, she would have been thrilled that she provided my brother and I a moment of bonding and a moment of levity where she could make us laugh, even if it was at her expense. As we sat there, I had kind of timed out the gasps, the grunts. And knowing one was coming, we were sitting there not saying a word, just kind of looking down and, and being in the moment. But the tension was so, so tough and thick and difficult, and we were struggling to keep our heads up. Knowing the grunt was coming, I just yelled out, WAR! And then she made her grunting sound, and I said, WHAT IS IT GOOD FOR? And I, I know, I know you think that was inappropriate and horrible, and it probably was, but in that moment, my brother and I just needed a break. We needed to laugh. 
He laughed. I laughed. I know for a fact that if my mom could have seen it, she would have laughed. And that's one of the best memories I'll have of that experience with that disease, was that in that moment it gave us closeness. So why am I telling you all of this stuff? Why is this important? It's because I, I've lived by the mantra for several years that if people knew more about Alzheimer's, they would do more about Alzheimer's. We are at a point in our society where I, I think we still assume that Alzheimer's is this forgetful, confusion disease that sure impacts families, but it's not the end of the world. I think that we fail to see the truth of this disease. I very briefly ran a nonprofit about, geez, 10, 11 years ago now, strictly dedicated to raising awareness of young onset. It failed, ironically, because I couldn't raise enough awareness to get people involved. And I promised myself ever since then that any platform I ever had, I would make use of in an effort to accomplish that goal and teach people what this disease really is. The bulk of assistance out there is for people over 65. The impact of young onset is different than traditional onset. People in their 30s, 40s, 50s, still working, still supporting a family, still paying a house payment, paying a car payment. When that person is struck with Alzheimer's, it's different than if they're already retired and living that life. The financial impact is greater. They might even still have kids at home. Kids have to stop going to college because of the cost of care. I just want people to know that people in their 30s, 40s, 50s can struggle with this disease. They can suffer. And they need help. The Alzheimer's Association is amazing. I've financially supported them in the past. I will continue to do so. I love everything they do, and they're going to be the pioneers when a cure is finally found. My only issue, it's not really an issue, but the thing I wish they would do more of is educate. Put some commercials out there. Get some radio time. Buy a Super Bowl ad. Show the reality of this disease so people who think full house Alzheimer's is the real thing learn the truth. People knew more about it, they'd do more about it. And that's the only reason I'm sharing this today. If I've said anything that was shocking to you or that moved you in some way or that you think is important enough that someone else needs to hear it, I'd ask you to share the podcast on your social media or on your channel. Reference it in your next show if you're a podcaster, whatever. I'm, I don't care about hits or traffic or downloads. I'm not monetized, so I don't make anything off of this. I promised my mom that I would use what we went through to try to make a difference. That's all this is. If you can help with that, I'll be forever grateful. This has been a tough 30 minutes to keep my composure, keep from feeling overwhelmed. Uh, I've got a lot of mental pictures in my brain that I'm hoping to get out of my brain now, things that I'd forgotten. 
If you want to see Alzheimer's in action, there's a video from my nonprofit. It's still on Facebook somewhere. Just just Google Sharon Antcliff Foundation, A-N-T-C-L-I-F-F, and her video will pop up and give you just a little taste. Thank you for listening. Thank you for letting me ramble on for 31 minutes and 20 seconds about this. Please get involved if you feel moved to do so. Well, golly gee, that was fun. What a great little trip down memory lane you guys all took with me. Dear Lord, what was I thinking? No thought of the week this week. I've been deep enough. I'm going to let you guys go. I will ask you, come back next week, because it'll be a lot more light and fluffy and airy and entertaining and not nearly as depressing. I will have a guest on. Uh, We're going to talk about health and fitness and weight loss challenges and all that kind of good stuff. Uh, I've known this guy for years, and he's lived through a lot of difficult stuff when it comes to fitness. Uh, We're going to pick each other's brains and discuss our very separate but similar experiences. And that'll be way cooler than talking about how my mom, like, died and stuff. Anyway, thank you once again for listening. Find me on Twitter, BigDog underscore KA. Tune in next week. And I swear to God, I'll make this whole episode up to you. Take care, everybody. Bye.